give up, don't allow disaster. Don't you give up, don't you let away. Talking about a forever after. Don't you give up, don't you dare give in. Don't you give up, don't you dare give Greetings, friends, listeners, clients, relatives, all the people I told on the subway today to listen, and all of my many Twitter followers who are maybe watching today on Meerkat. We're very, uh, we're, we're extremely tech savvy on this show. We're cutting edge. We're cutting edge. I don't know what we're cutting and what edge it is, (laughs) but we're doing our best. Is that you, Deborah Orell? It is. Welcome. How are you? I'm fantastic. That's excellent. You excited about the show? You know, we have guests on the show. I'm very excited today. Great topic. Great guest. It's great topic and great guests. If anyone um, tuned in to talk about both the marriage equality, marriage equality, hashtag I do, big topic tomorrow, historic cases at the Supreme Court um, to determine and I think the winds of change are sort of blowing it in the air, whether or not marriage equality, same-sex marriage, will be constitutionally protected across all of America's 50 states. That is That hangs in the balance tomorrow. So we wanted to talk about that. Anyone who is kind of only marginally aware and would like to be more informed about what's going on and how we got to where we are today. And we'll also then talk about the status, the state of sexual orientation discrimination in this country, gender identity discrimination, gender identity expression discrimination in this country, both under federal law and under state law, because it's all part of the same sort of arc that, again, we were discussing earlier, is bending a bit toward justice to, uh, you know, paraphrase badly the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. It does seem to be that we're heading in the direction that most folks in this country would like to see us go, um, even with the sort of conservative backlash, and we sometimes take five steps forward and two back. But it's really heading in the right direction. It's very exciting. Yeah, well, and we were we were planning to do this show even before the very famous uh, and well-watched uh, Bruce Jenner interview last night. Just a few years ago, he, you know, we would never have had someone like that taking up with 17 million people tuning in to learn right. about transgender um, issues. Right. Now we just have to get Bruce Jenner to be uh, to understand that his Republican Party does not support transgender yeah. issues. Exactly. But absolutely, but you're that's absolutely a separate right. Issue. Though, Right, it's a separate issue, but the, the mo- many of the Fox News watchers were even watching Bruce Jenner and you right. know, probably, and, and perhaps even being sort of won over. So we, we have t- joining us today um, two distinguished guests to talk about uh, these issues. One um, is Stephen Oxley. Stephen Oxley is a Brit uh, who moved to New York from England to pursue his education. And he graduated from City University of New York at Hunter College, I believe, with a, an absolutely perfect 4.0 uh, GPA. And if I'm wrong, sorry, but I believe it was very close to that. Stephen studied political sci- sci- uh, science and philosophy, graduated magna cum laude, which means that it had to be way back up there, like 3.85 or something. And um, <laughs> he had uh, honors for his thesis on the Supreme Court and privacy rights. So I wanted to have Stefan here today to talk about what's going on um, at the Supreme Court tomorrow, what has been going on um, in this line of cases, these privacy rights cases, these um, LGBT cases um, over the last you know couple of decades. And we're very happy to have Stefan in our roundtable uh, with us today. Thank you, Jay. Nice to be here. Thanks for being here. We also have uh, Carl Yaros, who is an attorney uh, with uh, Tuckner Sipser, this firm. He joined us several years ago. Uh, Carl received his Juris Doctor degree in 2011, summa cum laude. I don't know. Summa is under magna, right? 
I think it's I'm above. Oh, really? It's above. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> okay. Sorry <laughs> about that. Then. Thanks. I guess it wasn't a four point oh. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, Carl, Carl graduated um, from the University of Akron School of Law in Akron, Ohio, in 2007. He graduated also summa cum laude from the State University of New York at Oswego with a degree in public justice. Um, and Carl was an associate editor for the Akron Law Reviews. He's a you know, very smart boy and assisted low-income clients with housing problems as a certified legal intern for the Civil Litigation Clinic. Progressives all on this call, again, all of us trying to do our best to help people who have less power than those who have too much of it. Welcome, Carl. Thanks for having How me, are you? Thanks I'm for gonna... joining us today. Good. So I just wanted to just talk, tomorrow the Supreme Court of the United States, the highest court in the land with nine judges sitting on the court, will be hearing arguments in consolidated cases to discuss this marriage equality and are we ready yet as a people, as a nation, for, um, for gay and lesbian uh, and transgender folks, any of us who wish to marry, if we're not two separate genders, to be legally married and enjoy all the benefits and the privileges and the aggravation and the challenges that are conferred on those of us who are permitted and to responsibilities. Marry. And very nicely done. So, Stephen, bring us up to date. What, what, so, the, the case tomorrow, the Supreme Court... Being, is it? By the way, is it? Is it? Is it? Will it be? Te- it's not televised, right? We don't do. That. No, no, the court is going to allow cameras. And so, and then, and what is the name of this? The case. So tomorrow, the court's uh, listening to four cases that have been consolidated down into uh, Abogafell versus Hodges, and those are cases that are now arising from the Sixth Circuit decision, which um, basically said that uh, the, the states in that jurisdiction. So we have Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Uh, those states' bans on same-sex marriage or recognition of uh, same-sex marriages performed elsewhere were constitutional. And that created a, a, a distinct um, rift between the circuit courts. And so we now have um, decisions from the other circuit courts which basically said that uh, same-sex marriage bans were unconstitutional. And, we, and the Sixth Circuit disagreed with that and said that they were constitutional. Now, the only court that could take this up and uh, write this this uh, imbalance was the Supreme Court, which okay, is why so, we're hearing this tomorrow. So, so for our listeners who don't know one circuit from the next, mm-hmm. circuits are federal courts, jurisdictions, right? Right. And there are nine of them, I believe, in the country, or thereabouts. I think right? there are 11. Yeah. 11, yeah. okay, including uh, 11 circuits. There is a split so that some of the federal judiciary uh, has now ruled that same-sex marriages are permissible or even Constitutional. Right, the state bans were discriminatory and unconstitutional. But it's important to remember the background to this. And, yes. and so the Supreme Court back in, in 2013 took up a case, Windsor versus uh, the United States, or United States versus, versus Windsor, in which the Defense of Marriage Act was, was at issue. And what, that, is the def- what was the Defense of Marriage Act? So the Defense of Marriage Act was a law passed um, back in 1996, signed into law by Bill Clinton with an overwhelming a Republican majority supporting it, that basically said um, that the federal government does not have to recognize marriages um, that are not between one man and one woman for the purpose of federal benefits. Now, this included, obviously, taxation, Social Security, immigration, the whole host of... Survivor you know, benefits. Survivor, the whole host, yes. Visitation and hospitals, I mean, everything. Exactly. I think it's a thousand-odd rights that the federal government basically said... Um, we do not have to recognize... A thousand odd rights. A thousand odd rights that come with marriage, yeah. It's a lot of benefits. Okay. People don't realize that. Yeah, a thousand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and do you, Ms. Ms. Windsor, do you can just remind um, our listeners... So Ms. Windsor, she, she was, was the plaintiff in that case, and she said that uh, she was, she, uh, her spouse, her same-sex spouse, had passed away and left a considerable estate. And she was now on the, on the hook for a $300,000, $350,000 tax bill that she wouldn't have had to pay had the federal government recognized her marriage as legitimate. Um, as, as a surviving spouse, she would not have had to pay that. And what was the rationale for making her pay $300,000 just because she's not married? What does that mean? Who, why was she paying well, that? What DOMA did, the Defense of Marriage Act, say, it said that for federal purposes, um, the federal government does not have to recognize same-sex marriages. It only has to recognize the marriage between one man and one woman. That was Section 3 of the De- Defense of Marriage Act. 
And what uh, Ms. Windsor was saying was, this is not fair. This is my legal, legitimate wife. We've been married. Uh, we're married in the eyes of New York State. And we, I'm the surviving spouse. I shouldn't have to pay $350,000. Why should she? But what was the argument that she should have to pay that? Why was she paying those taxes? That was the, the estate, the, the tax on her estate that she had been left. Okay, so when you're married and your spouse dies, it can pass to you untaxed. Exactly. There's a certain limit that I believe you don't have to pay. Okay, tax. so it was the decedent, right? It, was, it wasn't Ms. Uh, Windsor. It was, who, who was it who died? Her spouse. Okay, but it was the spouse who's basically ultimately paying the taxes, if you will, right? I suppose, yeah. Okay. Okay. That, okay, so what did the court decide in the Windsor case? So in the Doma case, the 2013 case in the, in the Supreme Court, um, Kennedy was the, the swing vote, and he, he found against Doma. He found against Section 3 of Doma and said that it was unconstitutional and that it basically deprived um, same-sex, uh, legitimate, legitimately married same-sex couples from um, rights and privileges that everyone else enjoyed, and he found it unconstitutional. So the plaintiff and same-sex marriage won? Same-sex marriage did not win. DOMA, Section 3 of DOMA was ruled unconstitutional. Right, but the upshot, who was the winner? What was the winner? The win Ms. Windsor was the winner. And so DOMA was, Section 3 of DOMA was ruled unconstitutional. Right, but not just for Ms. Windsor. No. So the, the winners are who? Who, who, in other words, the, the beneficiaries of that decision were people in same-sex couples. Right. For the purposes of federal benefits, um, people who were in uh, same-sex marriages performed anywhere in the United States would now have their marriages recognized by the federal government, okay. something that was not the case before Windsor. Right. So what I meant by same-sex marriage wins is not that the ability to marry or marriage equality, as we're going to be talking about, perhaps in what, what the court will be talking about with the, in the arguments tomorrow, but that same-sex marriage as an institution, as a right, one, in that these thousand-some-odd rights that people are deprived of when you're in same-sex couplings now became available to more people than Ms. Windsor, right? The benefits did, but it didn't change anything with regard to same-sex marriages throughout the country. They only, they only had to be now recognized by the federal government. What it did do, Windsor was a precursor to what we're going to be seeing tomorrow. So before we get to that, how many, so then currently, right here, before tomorrow in 2015, April something or other, how many states recognize same-sex marriage? Same -sex well, marriage. it depends on how you count them, because there are some anomalies. So officially, there should be, I believe, 37 states that recognize same-sex marriage. But again, within that number, there are situations like in Alabama, where on the books, uh, the, the, the uh, marriage bans have been struck down, but there is some confusion because of state rulings and uh, the, the state Supreme Court that have issued conflicting messages. And so there are some counties okay. that aren't performing marriages and some that are. But as of today, uh, it's, it's around 37. And what were you saying before we went on the air, just before you were talking about Kansas going, uh, reverting back to... Was that well, that was for that. That was for uh, employment issues. Right? Employment, employment discrimination. Uh, okay, and then we'll we'll get to that in a moment. So tomorrow, what will the arguments be before the court, and what are the possibilities in terms of the court's decision? So tomorrow, the court's hearing, like I said, four consolidated cases under this one name, Obergefell versus Hodges, and the courts basically put forward two questions that must be answered. The first one is, uh, do states have to perform same-sex marriages? And the second one is, do states have to recognize uh, same-sex marriages that are performed outside of their jurisdiction? Okay. These are the two questions that the court will That's be... It. That's it. Okay. That's it. But, but if the, so if the court, though, finds that each state must recognize same-sex marriage, that moots out the second it argument, It does. Right? It does. But not the other way around. Okay. Got it. Okay. Um, and so the... Activists among us arguing for full protection and rights for marriage equality are arguing what? That it denies the privileges and benefits uh, to, legitimate, to legitimate married couples, for A, for it not to be recognized by their home state, and B, for it to not be performed in their home state. So recognized and performed in one's home state is the number one goal. The number one goal is that, but it's also to, to have a level of... So, let me explain a bit. The Supreme Court uses different levels of scrutiny when they're reviewing uh, issues of, of, of rights and when the government um, uses reasons to discriminate a certain class of people. So up until now, we've seen uh, what's called a rational basis review of uh, sexual orientation. 
And what that means is that a state only has to reach a very minimal bar when it comes to uh, justifying their discriminatory uh, actions. Okay. So, for example, um, a state only ha- if, if a state's ban on same-sex marriage uh, only has to meet a rational basis, they can they can simply say, you know what, uh, we believe that a, a, a heterosexual married couple um, is best for raising children, and that would meet that rational basis review. It's a very low bar for the state to meet, and they almost always win on that basis. But what we're looking for with this decision, with this decision when it comes out in June, is what's called a heightened scrutiny um, uh, application towards sexual orientation in discrimination. The same standard that's applied to racial discrimination, and that is the state has to meet a very high burden to justify their discriminatory and discrimination. And discrimination, right? But it's a very high burden that pe- that the state has to meet um, in order to justify the discrimination, and it almost always fails. So the rational basis, it sounds like. You know, it's reasonable and irrational, but the way you described, it's almost a subjective. So if, if one were saying, if a state says or a municipality says, you know, the rational basis for not allowing gay men to be firefighters is that they sleep and it makes other men uncomfortable. It's bad for morale. That's a rational basis. It's bad for morale, right? Exactly. So they get away with pretty much anything. Exactly. It's a very low bar to me, and the state almost always meets it. Okay. So this will be... The, the court is being asked to sort of, in a sense, alter, raise that level of scrutiny? They're not being directly asked to do it. We'll see it in the reasoning that they use. And so it, it's important if what the, the, the gay rights advocates are looking for is a heightened level of, of review so that for future issues that move along, as we're seeing now with uh, the, the religious liberty um, laws that are passing throughout the country, uh, employment discrimination laws that we'll probably see further, li- further along down the road, uh, if, if, if the court comes out and says, you know what, sexual orientation is going to be under heightened scrutiny and we are going to subject it to this very high bar, that's, that's then uh, going to be very good news for the gay rights community moving forward as we move to future cases about discrimination. What, but why would you even, why wouldn't it be game over at that point? Because if, that, if you're saying that every state's now constitutionally protected, your right to marry. To marry, yes. But no, don't forget, a marriage is only one facet of the gay rights movement right now. We still have employment discrimination. Um, there is a lot of other discriminatory practices that happen under the guise of uh, religious freedom and, and so forth throughout the country. Oh, okay, so, so this is it dovetails with but sort of a separate issue from whether it was you know, Hobby Lobby or right now, you know, whether a florist or baker can bake a cake or a pizza for a gay wedding, that would be a separate issue. The court could find marriage equality in all 50 states and still empower those who say, yeah, but not on my, not on my pizza place, pal, right? Exactly, exactly. exactly. Okay. But not, that's not under consideration tomorrow. Tomorrow right? it's two very simple questions, and it's two questions that have been sort of percolating for a long time. It's should it, does a state, must a state perform same-sex marriage? And must the state recognize valid same-sex marriages from out of state? Fascinating. So, what were the, the sort of the progeny, you know, the forerunners to this case besides the 2013? You yeah, said yeah. we just had Doma Windsor, mm-hmm. big case, and again without Doma, without Windsor, without that 5-4 decision. And let's just say this parenthetically: the reason that's important is because the the number in terms of 5-4 and Justice Kennedy, right, is that. There are four liberals on the court, progressives, the kind of people who routinely say things like, you want to get married, you're gay, God bless. People who are sort of stand for progressive you know, values of, you know, of, sort of liberty and equality generally, whether it's income equality um, or marriage equality. And then there are four justices who are sort of rabidly reactionary always in the other direction. They tend to be kind of homophobic a, a bit. Yeah. Uh, right? Is that fair to say? I mean, in terms of at least the way that... So the way I'm saying... Yeah, you re- read some of the dissents and, you, and you'll see that the, the, some of them can't be... aren't very nice uh, in the, when they speak about gay people. <laughs> Not very nice, <laughs> right. So, so, but Justice Kennedy has been reliably sort of quasi-progressive when it comes to social issues, or at least when it comes to gay rights. When it comes to gay rights, he has been, yeah. He's authored uh, the three sort of major decisions in the the last 20 years when it comes to gay rights. So go back a little further, though. Before the last 20 years, there was a decision in the late 80s, and I believe it was called Bowers versus Hardwick, um, that, and this is just what I know of the fact pattern of that case, two consenting adult males in the state of Georgia were prosecuted for having sexual relations 
in the home of one of the men, consensual, in a private bedroom, no public lewdness, no voyeurism, no exhibitionism, just in their home. Someone either got wind of it, I don't recall the specifics, but they were prosecuted, convicted, and sentenced to 20 years in jail. This is 1980-something for consensual sodomy. Exactly. Right? Okay. And while they didn't, I believe this, the sentence was suspended, it went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court back in the 80s held that prosecuting consensual sodomy is perfectly Perfect okay. legitimate. Yep, perfectly, perfectly legitimate. And now that, when we're talking about consensual sodomy, it's really whether it's, all, we're, it's sort of inclusive by definition, oral sex? That was included, yes. Okay, and it's not gender specific or it's not sort of orientation specific is it the statute wasn't but i believe its application was they were targeting well they were talk but i mean i guess my point before we get to who they target is that in the state of georgia or in the state of texas mm-hmm. you know to not till very till when when was it till 03 yeah till 2003 in the state of texas on the books more it, than texas it wasn't just texas yeah okay, we were just talking about that but in however yeah. many states it yeah. is illegal it was illegal Anything other than heterosexual copulation is illegal. So fellatio is illegal. It's just that, as I had asked Stefan before the show began, neither one of us can recall, and I was a criminal defense lawyer for many years, the last prosecution of heterosexual folks for engaging in what these, um, I think these statutes called deviant sexuality, which is anything other than, again, missionary sex between you know, heterosexual male, one man, one woman, right? But that, but but again, it was selectively prosecuted because no one's ever. But yet, you would go out of your way to prosecute a same-sex couple, typically men, right? Exactly. So, from um, so that was back in '87. Then back in 2003, what was the name of that case? That, that was Lawrence v. Texas, and that that's another pivotal Kennedy moment, pivotal Kennedy opinion that struck down um, anti-sodomy laws throughout the country, um, and overruled the the Bowers decision and said, uh, you know. In the United States, we enjoy a certain amount of freedom, and that freedom extends to one's private actions in a private bedroom uh, between consenting adults. Huh. So um, that was the le- until from 2003 to 2013 in Dome and the Windsor case, there were no other major... No other major Supreme Court cases, no. There were decisions sort of in state courts regarding marriage, um, but no other major Supreme Court cases, no. Okay, so this is... Uh, so tomorrow's a big day. Big day. Yeah. And what what are, what are the uh, what are the what are the gambling odds on how it will turn out tomorrow? Uh, if I were a gambling man, I'd say that it, it's it's going to be a good decision come June, and we're going to see marriage equality reach the, the whole of the United States. Um, but we'll see. Uh, there's still some question. It's still up in the air how far reaching the decision will be. Um, if Kennedy's going to limit his decision to only uh, saying that states must recognize marriages from what would be what would be wrong with that that let's say they split the baby so to speak and say you know what knock yourself out states rights all of that stuff the state wants to recognize it great so if you're going to live in new york just like it was or it is with um, you know abortion if you're in a state that readily provides it wonderful but if you're in a state that says sorry that's not how we roll well, again, it would just be pushing the can down the road and saying that um, it's pushing the question about marriage equality in the, all 50 states down the road. But secondly, it's very important to remember that uh, not everyone has the money and the means to travel out of state. You know, some of these states are rather large. Uh, if you're in the middle of, of, of Michigan and, and you can't afford to or you, you can't get the time off or, you know, for whatever reason. Or limitations, you can't. Or physical, exactly. And you have to travel to a, a marriage equality state to get married. Right. That's discriminatory. Right. You, can't, you, can't sub, you can't say that the, the, the gay couple that wants to get married must travel 300 miles, but the straight couple doesn't have to. Right. That's discriminatory. Right. And it's awful. Huh. And do you know offhand the argument, so the argument... Um, tomorrow from the attorney who will be arguing um, the defense of, you know, uh, no marriage equality position. What, in a nutshell, is that position that, obviously, the attorney has to argue with a straight face? Well, it's going to be a sort of a hodgepodge of a bunch of different arguments. I mean, the court's actually received, uh, I think, 100, over 100 briefs, um, mm-hmm. that are, which is a very large number when it comes to the Supreme Court. 
um, arguing many things from the absurd to the even more absurd. So you've got uh, it's not good for the family. Um, but I think what you're mostly going to see a focus on is it's uh, down to states and that the states have the right and the ability to regulate their own marriage laws. Um, and that's, I think, what you're going to see tomorrow from the, 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 uh, the attorney defending the marriage discrimination laws. It's going to be one of states' rights, and, and that's about it. But in terms of defending, you know, I mentioned to you the, the quote that I, um, I, I, I just saw from the Loving case. Which was the Loving case that you the mentioned? The interracial marriage case. Interracial marriage case. It was only, again, back, what, in the 60s? 67. 67. So prior to 67, you, it was illegal in... In Virginia. In Virginia to marry with outside of your race. Exactly. And when that case was heard by the Supreme Court... This, the uh, Chief Justice, the, the quote attributed to the Chief Justice is, the freedom to marry has long been recognized as one of the vital personal rights essential to the orderly pursuit of happiness. I mean, so there's really the, the dispute is not that from those who are opposed that people shouldn't have the right to pursue happiness through a coupling with another, with an intimate other. Is it? That's, there's never and an argument from any of these folks, like tomorrow where someone will say, or do they argue the religious argument that it's unnatural? They used to. They used to. But I think as you've seen public opinion swing and you've seen sort of more, uh, a higher degree of gay visibility, and these arguments kind of fall flat on their face when you, when, when you hear them. And if you're arguing in front of the Supreme Court arguing these nonsense arguments, you, you look like a bit of an idiot. And so you have to fall back onto this issue of states' rights and this idea that states get to regulate their own marriage laws. Right, right. Wow. Carl, I want to bring you in on this. What, what's your take on, on uh, the sort of trajectory of the law and, and gay rights, and what do you think uh, is, you know, is the most fascinating part of the uh, argument tomorrow that we're uh, going to be hearing? Arguments. Well, I'm carefully optimistic that the uh, court will rule in favor of marriage equality. If you look at its recent actions, they would certainly suggest that. Because had the court wanted to stop more marriage equality, it had the option to uh, to hear any of the prior lawsuits that have been brought, where circuit courts, except for the sixth, have consistently held in favor of marriage equality. So, you know, had they wanted to stop that, they could have granted cert on those cases and and put them. Okay, so 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 let me get this straight. What you just said, uh, they handpicked these cases. This court. Yes, they, they, you know, they don't have to hear any case that you appeal to the Supreme Court. They have to grant you what they call certiorari in order to hear your oh, case. Right, but did they? I'm sorry, go ahead. And they specifically declined to hear all those cases, and it was a lot of them that upheld marriage equality and struck down a state. Uh, constitutional amendments banning same-sex marriage in, in a number of states. So again, what had, they could have chosen cases that would have been more representative and emblematic and helpful to them if they wanted to punt or strike down. If they wanted to come, if they wanted the decision to not, if you thought that the writing on the wall was, and you were cautiously pessimistic, it would be because they would have picked cases that would have made it easier for them to rule against marriage equality. Well, exactly, because uh, you see the. The court actually, in a way, already ruled in favor of marriage equality. For instance, in the Ninth Circuit, by declining to, to hear that case, and yeah. it essentially... So wait, the Ninth Liberal Circuit of federal judges in California, in San Francisco, that would have, of course, found for marriage equality, which they did. So what could the court have, this high court have done with the, that case? The high court could have said, okay, you know, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna hear this case and and come to a decision. Had they done that, marriage would have been on hold in the Ninth Circuit, and we would have to wait the decision. But by saying okay, no, we're not gonna go into that, it allowed that Ninth Circuit decision to stand, uh -huh. and in doing so, it allowed marriages to proceed. So now it, it would be much harder to reverse because now we have all these marriages in, in many different states that would be in limbo if they decided to to hold any other way. So is this? It's, you know, this reminds me. This is like when you know when Rocky Balboa 
was was and I think it's in Rocky uh, two is saying to Mick his trainer. You know, I, and I want to fight, or maybe it was Rocky III, I want to fight Mr. T, you know, the up-and-comer who could have been. He had just gone through 15, you know, undefeated defenses of his championship, and, and his manager tells him, listen, you're not fighting this guy, he'll kill you. Uh, and, he, and Rocky says to him, well, what did you do? You know, you picked these, these, uh, these are like setups. He says, they weren't setups. They had just hand-picked fighters that I knew I was picking fighters, in essence, that you could beat. And what I'm saying is that here, in terms of the, which maybe one wouldn't expect in the Supreme Court, they chose this, and this is what I think the excitement and energy is about under, under sort of undergirding this, is that they chose these cases in order to render, perhaps, this decision that we're hoping that they render, right, in terms of constitutionalizing same-sex marriage, finally. Otherwise, why would they have bothered? Exactly. If, if they wanted to, you know, ban same-sex marriage, the other cases would have been a lot uh, better candidates for that. And, and why do you think it is, with all that's going on right now and the sort of divisiveness in this country and, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the massive inequality, the chasms, the divisions, the, the run-up now and the Republican, you know, because every Republican that says he's running or she's running, including Carly Fiorino for office, is not in favor of same-sex marriage, right? So why now? Is this something? Is that? Is it by sort of? Is this by sort of providing a certain amount of sort of progressivism and making kind of you know the natives happy in some way? Do then we focus on more important issues of you know of of keeping it all to ourselves or privatizing social security, etc.? Why should the court suddenly be? And why is this country? And Stephen, you could you know certainly chime in because we're not. Why are we the font of, you know, sort of, uh, of, of, of this movement reaching the place that we've all spent decades hoping it gets to? Why now? Well, I don't think you can separate the, the issue of public opinion and public consciousness from, from what's happening tomorrow. I think it's, if you follow the trajectory of the court on this issue, it's very closely aligned with the acceptance in the public, in the general public at large, about, of, of, okay. of homosexual people, of same-sex marriage, of the idea that two people the same sex can get married. They're very closely aligned, and I don't think you can view tomorrow's uh, case and eventual decision in June separately from that. As more I don't people come out... A, I, think, I think you're right, Stefan, because when uh, the Loving case in the 60s, um, it, I think the percentage of people who knew an interracial couple was, you know, 6% or something, or less than that. Less, yeah. And, yeah, right. it was less. And so when it took however many years to finally uh, pass, the same thing is true with gays. You know, even just 20 years ago, I think the percentage was some, somebody only knew, you know, some single-digit percentage of exactly. gay people. And now right. over right. 75% of everyone knows somebody who's gay, trying to get married, wants to be married, is married. Right, right, right. It's a lot so, harder to discriminate it, against someone that exactly, you, you know. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, it was right. a lot Jamie easier probably. for the car mechanic. <laughs> yeah, it right. was a lot easier right. for the car mechanic to discriminate just even a few years ago. Now, you know, with social media, with social acceptance, it's much, much is this more any difficult. Particular car? Are you picking on car mechanics uh, for any particular well, I reason? I thought that was okay. one of the you know oh, things in the car media. The it pizza was a car mechanic, a. right? Yeah, right. a right. car mechanic. I'm the not pizza or the baker. Yeah. No, no oil for you. Um, okay, so so the, as we're so it's a perfect sort of segue into then talking about if we if this is what's going on and this is I mean you know again with all the past pessimism and the things the precariousness that we talk about every week. And and so not giving up and staying active and knowing you know democracy is not a spectator sport and we have to get involved here we have something really good happening and sort of along the same lines it has there been in terms of sexual orientation discrimination or uh, you know and I'll just sort of say slash gender identity discrimination but we'll talk about that I think separately has there been Stephen Call. Um, uh, a substantial progress almost sort of aligned with in harmony with the the marriage equality movement i mean if you just look at the from 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 um you know if you look at from like stonewall till today right and again it's within my lifetime um 
have we seen is it is it is it where are we right now with discrimination orientation discrimination employment housing public accommodations well anyway Carl why don't you just go first where are we now on uh, first of all is there you live in the United States one lives in the United States one uh, is gay or lesbian or transgender bisexual is there protection from being fired by your boss who decides that you either are or you you know you may be gay? Well, the, there's no definite answer actually because the Federal Non-Discrimination Act it has not passed yet. So right now, it's uh, it's really on a case by case and state by state basis. Well, well, let me make it simple. Well, let me ask you this then: You're an employment lawyer, so let me ask you this: Somebody calls you up and says. I work at um, the International House of Pancakes. I guess I'm the syrup steward there. Um, it's the, the sommelier for the uh, and, and I and they and and uh, my boss called me some you know called me a faggot and said I didn't if I knew you were gay never would have hired you faggot hit the bricks pal. Now you call you and say, listen, do I have, first of all, a case under United States law? Can I bring a case? I got it on tape. He called me a faggot and he fired me. Is that illegal if I work in IHOP? Well, under federal law, it's not illegal per se, although... Well, what's this per se thing? What, Wait how a do you minute. Make I thought it's under Title Seven. No, not well, that is the argument that's now being brought, you know, since, the, since about 2002, because we do have the, we have a federal anti-discrimination act uh, that has been introduced in each Congress, I believe, since 1994. Well, you're talking about ENDA, right? Yes, about ENDA, and that hasn't passed yet, and it's not going to pass this time around. Uh, Why won't it pass? Why won't it? Wait, what? Explain to our listeners what is that? What does that stand for? ENDA. What's the acronym? It's Employment Non-Discrimination Act. It has and been introduced every Congress since 1994. Every Congress. 94. So how is that different from, you know, all the other discrimination acts we have, uh, the Civil Rights Act, as Deborah just said, Title Seven, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. How is that different? Well, what we have right now, Title Seven, it bans discrimination based on sex, among other things. Right. And uh, would also include sexual orientation and perhaps gender identity which under certain circumstances you might also say it's discrimination based on sex, which is the current workaround, but, and that would put an end to that question whether that's really covered. And well, how is that a workaround? How is it you're gay, you know, somebody says, you say, I'm, you know, this is my protected status, so, so to speak, I, I'm gay. And they say, well, then, you know, you're, you're fired. We don't, it's, just, we don't, it's not how, again, we roll. Get out. I'm, 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 I'm a Christian. No gays allowed. Jesus didn't like gays. You're fired. Now, what's the, what's the workaround that you could say that that's because, you mean, mean I'm firing you because you're a, because you're male? Because if you weren't male, I wouldn't have called you a faggot? Well, the workaround is, is calling it gender stereotyping. It's not so much that someone's firing you because you're gay, but perhaps you're not man enough, or you, you know, you don't, have the qualities of a, what they would refer as a normal male. There were some cases, you know, I don't recall the specifics, but where that has been successful. For instance, a woman has successfully sued that where a boss was fired because she didn't dress female enough. So that, really, but it's still it's still a workaround because. But that's not. But how does that have to do with? But but I'm saying it just so happened to be that if this woman were, you mean you're saying that so here was someone who was kind of butch. And so she was able to, in the workaround, talk about, she was still a lesbian, right? Because she could have been fired for just dressing that way or having short hair or for this kind of sex stereotyping without having any orient, known orientation, right? That wasn't even really an issue, right? So in other words, this is a, it's a very challenging, sort of feeble, difficult way to get at something indirectly that under federal law, the short answer is there is no law that stops your employer under federal law unless you work for the federal government. Right, so I think you said that from from discriminating against you and not hiring you or firing you. Forget about whether or not you're too masculine as a woman or too effeminate as a man. But if you if you're out and you say, 
you know, yeah, hire me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm queer and deal with it. And they say, well, not in this, you know, not in this organization, pal. Do you have a case? Again, perhaps, but really, depends what state you live in, I think. Well, but again, <laughs> it depends on where you state you live in, because that didn't answer this question. Under federal law, though, you're not. It's not encouraging. You have a case if you're like one of these people who gets very creative and spends a lot of time and presumably spent you know, a lot of years and perhaps money trying to pursue and prove that indirect, you know, the hypothesis, right? But there is, the short answer is, Carl, is there, is there a federal law that says it's illegal to discriminate against gay people or transgender no, people? There's, there's not. Okay, but now what about in individual states? Is there protection, like, much more direct? Like, sorry, yes, no, I'm gay. I'm gay. I, I'm, I never hid that. And so do you have a problem with that employer? And the employer says, yeah, frankly, I do have a problem with that. I'm where Christian Pizza Place. I don't want you here. I didn't know that, that you were one of those types, light in the loafers. So there are states where that is plainly illegal, right? Yes, in about 19 states in the District of Columbia, it's it's illegal for both uh, sexual orientation and gender identity, and then in three additional states, including New York, it's illegal based on sexual orientation only, but not gender identity yet. That's amazing. In New York, no gender identity yet, right? That is, no. no gender identity in New York, only in New York City, right, but not in the state. That's correct. So how many Well, states... you know, I just want to yeah. interject here at this sure, moment please. that ERA was introduced in the early 70s for women to have protection, and that has that still was not passed. Twenty or something, yeah. I think that was about 50 years earlier. Well, no, the ERA, the Equal yeah. Rights Amendment for yeah. Women, was. Yeah. I thought it was in... Um, seventy, uh, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. All right. right. Well, I'm just so saying. You're, so you're just saying. You didn't want I'm to just talk saying. About it. Yeah. Just saying, <laughs> just saying that, like for instance, just saying, like corporations are persons, uh, and we're talking even about sort of the right to be full in your selfhood as a gay or lesbian person or someone who has a different identity in terms of your given uh, gender at birth. But um, women yet still can't actually say that they're constitutionally protected as girls, right? There's no protection for Correct. women. Right. right. Bummer. Right. Well, you see, look at that. See, women have the least leverage of all. That is true. Right. And then when you add but, person of color, gay, you add all of it on, women are really screwed. <laughs> gay, gay women of color. Right. Yeah, Hispanic women of color, really bad. I think they make 50 cents on the dollar, actually. So, um, okay, so 22 states, Carl, or 19? Um, but, uh, 19 states and the District of Columbia have, you know, both gender identity and sexual orientation. Three additional states have just uh, sexual orientation. So there are 19 states that don't have any protection at all and nine states that have very limited protection for only public employment. Wow. And some of the states are not the exact states that you'd think, right? They're not all they're not all sort of red blue. Or do they break down that way? The way where uh, you would know what you're I mean yes, the usual suspects are the ones that have no protections and sometimes um, even states that used to have protections in the past have done away with it like Louisiana the current governor did away with what little protections uh, a prior executive order offered. So wait a minute, in Louisiana there was a law that protected gay and lesbians in terms of employment and housing, and the governor rolled that back? No, there was, a, there was an executive order that protected uh, gays and lesbians in public employment, but the current governor uh, reversed that. So here's what... Well, that's because that, Bobby's running for president. <laughs> that could oh, be Bobby Jindal. Yeah. Stephen, <laughs> yeah. what about Kansas? What's going on in Kansas? Kansas is very similar thing. I'm not. Uh, I'm not familiar with the Louisiana case, but um, in Kansas, just a couple of months back, they had a, a very limited protections only for state employees uh, against uh, sexual orientation discrimination. But the governor of Kansas saw it fit that uh, those protections weren't necessary, and that gay people should be. Um, subject to discrimination in state employment. They should, I mean, he said that they should be. He didn't say that. I mean, but the, that's the effect of his his uh, his his order. 
So oh. it's, we're not always moving in the same, in the right direction. We're not always moving forward. There are, there, there are setbacks, and there are people who are working very hard to make sure that uh, uh, progress for LGBT people uh, does not go any further and is often revoked. Oh, that's not Huckabee, is it, anymore? It's long no, since, no, 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 not Huckabee, no. Oh, okay. He's a whole separate issue. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, Huckabee's, then, so Huckabee's against marriage equality, is he not? I mean, he must talk he, a, yeah. he, he talks a good <laughs> game, but I don't know how, do you know how he... Well, it doesn't matter. So, so Carl, um, talk just a little bit about um, discrimination in terms of housing or the public accommodations of restaurants and so forth. If you know, in various states, how does that break down? Well, we currently Where have twenty-nine states, so the majority of states do not afford any protections in uh, housing or public accommodation. Then. Um, 18 states and the District of Columbia do, again, based on sexual orientation and gender identity, and three states only protect, again, New York included, just for uh, sexual orientation. So where, where, so just, just give us just three states now. Where are three states that, you know, offhand, where there is zero protection for orientation, at least with housing? I just had a question about that. Like, which state? What, are, what states have no protection for housing uh, discrimination? For instance, Alabama doesn't, Florida right. doesn't, Florida, Georgia. Right. So, so wait a minute. So here's what I understand. If you live in Fort Lauderdale, is what I'm trying to understand this, and you get rent an apartment, and your lover, you know, comes by, and the super, the landlord says, you know, what's up with, you know, decides you're gay. You have do you have a defense to to an eviction notice? Well, fortunately, if you're in Fort Lauderdale, you actually do because Broward County does have a okay. inclusive okay. anti-discrimination ordinance. So, I see done. Okay, okay. So it depends because I guess that's why I picked Fort Lauderdale. It seemed ludicrous, but okay. So that's why. Again, certain places like in Kansas, there's probably not enough popular sentiment to care that the governor is reversing it. But so even in these backwards. Seven, being every people would know this, but me. What was the place that you were telling me about earlier? Oh, Vico, Kentucky. Vico, uh, Kentucky, the smallest uh, municipality in the country to enact a non-discrimination ordinance just a few years ago. Uh, I think the town has sort of 30, 40, 50 people, something. About 355 people. 350, yeah, <laughs> something <laughs> tiny. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's a yeah. tiny town. You tiny could, town. You, uh, could, you could carpet the whole town, and with one, you could take a cab from one side to the other exactly, for three dollars. Exactly. So, so it's, it's important to remember in this in this discussion that it's not just the the blue states who are the good guys and the red states who are the bad guys. You know. Small town, middle of uh, Appalachian Mountains, um, also do good and also uh, can do right by LGBT people. There are pockets. There are pockets. It's, it's yeah, like exactly. flowers. And just work. because the state doesn't, doesn't uh, have protections, like I was mentioning with Fort Lauderdale, there are many cities throughout the country that do afford protections. I see. So there are, are, there are many cities. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So if you work in a, so that if you happen to work in, I don't know where, you know, Seattle or Tacoma or whatever, you get large cities in redder states, their chances are, like it is in New York, exactly. you've got protection that is far greater than perhaps someone 10 miles away. Exactly. exactly. I see. So you have to look uh But, I mean, it's still a pretty depressing scene. So, I mean, even though we've been all this talk about what's going on tomorrow with the Supreme Court and how we're, you know, optimistic about its outcome, you know, you look at some of the rules that aren't marriage and some of the laws that are on the books today, you can, you can travel uh, throughout the country and be discriminated against in housing, in employment, um, in all sorts of areas. Um, so tomorrow is a, it's a monumental day, and it's, it's really important to, to follow what's going on. And if you can, get down to the Supreme Court and have your voice heard, you know, go and march outside with a placard well, or something. Well, so what, does, will that help? Does that help sway these people? I, I don't think it, it, it helps or hurts the, the, the justices themselves, but I think it's good as, as, a, as a movement to show some sort of collective identity and some collective uh, idea about where we want to move forward and that we're one voice on this and that we want to be heard and that we're not going away. So there are organized demonstrations tomorrow? I imagine there will be, yeah. I imagine that on both sides, I imagine there will be a lot of people. Tomorrow's a big day. It's uh, being described as the, the Brown v. Board for the LGBT movement. No kidding. Very, very nice. Nicely done. Yeah, so that if the decision is as expected, um, what do you see, Steph, when you talk about all of these things that still need to be and someone who has followed this for a number of years and is being, you're optimistic or you sort of... I'm optimistic, yeah. I mean, I, 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 the marriage issue, I, it's, it's easy to get carried away, especially like I was saying with what's happening tomorrow. It's easy to get carried away and um, think that once, if this decision um, 
uh, comes down on the side of, of marriage equality, that, that the job's done and that's it. But as Carl was just mentioning, and as we've been talking about, the, the issue throughout the country is still pretty grim when it comes to being gay uh, or transgender um, in, in many other facets of your life. You know, many people don't want to get married, and they just want to eat a burger at a, at a fast food joint or, right. or they just want a, a hotel room or right. you know, they just want to work their job. Right. <laughs> they don't want to be fired because they're gay. And these are things that affect people's lives every day. And these are still challenges that the LGBT community faces throughout the country. And so whatever the decision is regarding marriage, it's, these are still going to be on the books. Uh, I mean, the language that comes out of the decision might be helpful. But there's still a battle ahead, and regardless of what happens in June, this is still a fight that has to be had. Hmm. So, assuming that um, there is positive, you know, that the decision is the one that we hope and are expecting, what could flow like dominoes from that? Would it, would it be more in terms of, again, employment? What are the biggest issues? You know that face is that is that, that that's a pretty large issue. I right think there, one of right? the biggest ones is employment. Yeah, I mean, if 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 Justice Kennedy comes down and uses uh, you know explicitly says that we're subjecting sexual orientation to heightened scrutiny, then a lot of these laws, these 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 bans on public accommodations, these uh, uh, employment bans or employment discrimination laws that are on the books will fall pretty easily because there really isn't much government justification, right. um, a legitimate justification for firing someone because they're gay or, or refusing or, them service because they're gay. It's, or it's, any, just, or more, or any, right, or exactly. any justification, certainly. Exactly. What about violence? You know, we talked about that. I know that um, what laws are there, either of you know, both the federal laws or are there particular state laws that um, at least are on the books to dissuade, if not, uh, punish more, you know, as, a, as an exacerbating, a hate crime, uh, um, a, a LGBT hate crime. What laws are there? Are there? Well, I know federally the, uh, the Matthew Shepard Act, which is uh, basically added sexual orientation to the federal hate crime definition, and that was signed into law um, by President Obama um, once he assumed office. But so that makes it a civil rights violation? It does, yeah. It's, it's a hate crime law. Okay. So uh, you, if you... If you uh, murder someone because because they are gay um, throughout the country, you can be tried under federal law. But, but, also, but so if you, whether you murder someone because there's no federal like homicide, right? If you murder someone or you beat someone up because they're gay, does that as a hate crime, it makes it worse than the perhaps the, what you would ever, just the normal, you broke somebody's nose, that's an assault, whatever, but by making it a hate crime, are there a the greater... I assume that that's what Greater that means. Greater penalty you know? or something? Greater penalty. What What would be the point of having a? If I if 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 and I thought that was a distinction at least in New York that if if they say two two men were chased down Christopher Street last night and you know beaten by some schmucks from New Jersey with a baseball bat all the while yelling get out of our town faggot um, and they catch these guys they would they would otherwise indict them for assault in the second degree and for the various you know. The, penal law violations, but does the fact that while they were hurting this person, uh, they were spewing their homophobic hatred make the crime more serious? I don't know. Do you know that, Carl? I believe so, and it gives the federal judiciary jurisdiction. I think that's, that's as far as the federal law goes, that's, that's one of the points. It gives them jurisdiction to, to hear the case? Is that what Matthew Shepard does? Yeah, once you have yeah, once you have a hate crime, it, it, you can prosecute them for civil rights violations, which otherwise you would not be able to. Okay, so you're saying under federal law there wouldn't even been a, you know, there's not even a, a cause of action, a prosecution without the hate crime. Exactly. Okay. I see. Okay. Very good. Carl, what else do you want to tell us? Or is there, oh, I actually have a question for both of you in terms of tomorrow's importance. Is there anything besides, for those of us who can't appear uh, outside of the court in D.C., this is not a legislative issue, so there's really nothing for anyone to do if anyone wants to sort of be involved other than pay attention and maybe tweet about it. There's nothing anybody at this point can do about that, the case tomorrow. Is that right. correct? In front of the court, and that's, that's it. I mean, it's up to the nine justices from now on. And the, the attorneys arguing in front of them. Got it. Got it. Very fascinating. So, um, Carl, anything that I... You I, can always I, vote. You can always vote. Well, <laughs> you, can you, mean, you can always vote. You mean just vote for people who would be likely to 
be progressive and care about the civil rights of all of us in its various forms. Exactly. Well, that's a whole another topic, and we all can and should be voting. Um, was there anything, Carl, in this, all the information that um, uh, we had that I have, and I'm just sort of drowning in it now in terms of um, the statewide laws and policies, um, was there anything, other distinctions that you thought are in terms of history or anything that might be fascinating to our listeners in terms of um, how some of these laws have come about or any peculiarity in them or something that, you know, we might not know about a place that has a particularly uh, effective law that you wouldn't think so or the reverse? Anything that you came up in your research on this today? Well, the, the most interesting state in a way would perhaps be Ohio. I was always, because Ohio is a swing state. It used to be a blue state for a while. It, it had a Democratic governor, but it's a very hostile state as far as uh, gay rights are concerned. So that was fairly surprising. For instance, uh, when Cincinnati, um, the city of Cincinnati, passed an anti-discrimination ordinance, I believe it was back in 1993, the people actually uh, called for a referendum and passed a new ordinance and amended the city charter to prohibit the city from uh, considering sexual orientation as a protected class. So uh, I haven't seen that happening anywhere else, and you perhaps wouldn't expect that in Ohio. Yeah, one wouldn't, although Ohio used to be sort of steadfastly and reliably blue, right? Exactly, but as far as uh, gay rights are concerned, it's, uh, it's one of the least liberal states. I mean, even in Alabama, you currently have same-sex marriage, but not in Ohio. Uh, yeah, that's amazing, in Alabama. You know, here's a quick, a quick question for both of you. In the intersection of gender um, gender and uh, gender identity and sort of gender itself in terms of a protected status. Because when we're talking about Bruce Jenner, if one were transitioning, if the gender identity where it's protected is not just because most of us, and we should have talked about, we could actually do a show on this, is, well, I am, I identify as a woman, but I may not actually look or dress like a woman. Or in Bruce, let's just take Bruce Jenner. Here I am, I'm Bruce, and now I'm going to be Kathleen, and I'm transitioning. All of it is about sex. I mean, not sex that all of it is about actually gender i'm sorry but you know they use interchangeably like for sex and the federal so if you are now patricia and you used to be steven and now you're you're fired because you're patricia nowhere has anyone made a cogent winning argument that that is a sex discrimination case see what i'm saying it's all about sex it's about your gender so i'm saying if it's your gender that is suddenly the trouble because your identity is not in conformity with your biological gen, sex, right? That's, that's what this is about, right? So why has that yet, here we're talking about the few states that actually protect gender identity. So if you're Bruce Jenner and you're the best athlete in the world and suddenly at 65, it's like, oh, look, long hair and nails and everybody's going to be, uh, you know, for, for someone like him who is, you know, an outlier. But to the average, we see this all the time, kids, right, that struggle with this. And more and more people are, because of the openness of our culture to it more and more, are expressing their gender identity different from what it would appear to be. And I'm wondering, has that not yet made its way, went its way through the courts as a as an, an issue that should be protected? Because if we protect with strict scrutiny someone's sex, why does it change when the sex that is being protected is one that is arguably chosen or different from what you had initially? It's, it's a sort of a correlate to almost... You'd think they would be one and the same, because a lot of the issues are the same. A lot of the reasoning would be the same. Well, the underlying everything is the same. It's about your sex, so unless the difference is, again, we've talked about like homophobia, what would make someone so homophobic? And you know, my opinion is that usually it's sort of a latency of your own issues, because why else would you care so much? And so the question is, if someone says, oh, I'm a girl, this is who I am now, why should we not protect that as, hey, it's none of your beeswax, whether he's a boy or he's a she, right? Exactly. But has there been, Carl, are you aware of a case that successfully... Um, you know, based on gender identity, but as a under federal law, as a sex claim. 
Well, we'll go get back to that another time. Thank you, all of us, all of uh, all of you, for staying with us today and listening. I hope it was, you know, marginally informative and entertaining. And on behalf of the Women's Rights in the Workplace Show, PRN.FM, Jack Tuckner, Deborah O'Rell, and our guest Stephen Oxley and Carl Yaros, we wish you all a strong, and powerful week. And remember, there's one thing you do if you're struggling with any issues at your job. Besides, empower yourself and find out what the law says. What would that one piece of advice be, Deborah? Don't quit.